Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. It's episode 10 of the Independent Intel Podcast. Regular host Kim Bumani is here with my regular co-host, Kamek Gibson. Um, back again, talking about some NBA hoops. As we have about two weeks left in the season, Clem, playing is April 11. We're approaching playoff basketball. Can't wait to get there. But before we dive into the topics, some breaking news I saw, which is unfortunate. Joel Embiid will not be playing tonight for the Sixers as they play the Denver Nuggets, which was really an MVP preview between Joel and Nikola Jokic. Now, it is expected that James Harden, he'll be back. He's been out three games in a row with a sore Achilles. Um, Clem, how disappointed are you that Embiid can't go and be able to play on the road against the Nuggets team? And um, do you think he'll have, you know, detrimental effects in terms of Embiid's pursuit of his first MVP? Yeah, I think it does. I think that's the the part that's the most uh, sad about it all. I can't say I'm too surprised just because with Embiid's injury history, but um, with Jokic doing what he did to the Bucks this um, weekend, with Giannis being the third candidate and second or first in some people's eyes, um, I was really looking forward to Jokic going in and seeing what Embiid would look like in that matchup because I'm pretty – I think Embiid got the better of him the first time around. Um, I was actually going to bounce it back to you, but uh, I don't know, man. I I still think Jokic has had the best season, um, best team in the West, um, averaging a triple-double. I know it's the third time in a row, so there's some historical context that gets a little iffy, but – He's been the best player this season. I honestly, I think Giannis would probably be my second just because of the team record on top of all of the success he's had. I know and the <laughs> your reaction. I know and is balling, but um I mean I just look at each team's co-star. I think James Harden is by far better than Jamal Murray or what Chris Middleton has been this year. I mean Drew Holiday is has been having a solid year being an all-star team. Um, but I think James Harden as a talent is better. And then if you, if you look at the third best player on their team, I think Tyrese Maxey is better than most teams' third best players. So um, I know he missed some time and James Harden has missed some time. But when you look at, like, the nucleus or the, the team around Joel Embiid, um, where they're ranked in the um, Eastern Conference standings, I just feel like, he probably should have been number one. And I think if he would have done that, he would have closed the case, even uh, despite him leading the league in scoring. Yeah, I feel you. Um, I think Jokic, for sure, he's been the most consistent all year. He's played the most games. He's got the triple-double average. And, yeah, we've seen the triple-double be averaged before. Westbrook did it twice. But this is the first time we're going to see it, and the guy is going to be on the best team in his conference. So I think that's outstanding in itself. Um, Yeah, I, I, you know, I wanted to see. You know, Embiid and Jokic played one last time. I know when they last played earlier in the earlier in the year, Embiid was doing some crazy work. But I think him not being able to go, I think, hurts his campaign. And to be fairly honest, really up until March, I had Jokic as the guy. And then yeah. Embiid just went on this crazy scoring tear that I think made a lot of people kind of be forced to reconsider. But then Jokic stepped up against Giannis on his own floor and my eyes went toe-to-toe, and I think outplayed him. And with mm-hmm. Embiid not really being able to be there tonight to go toe-to-toe with Jokic and challenge it, I think it's just Jokic to lose. And the crazy part about it is 
I think out of all the candidates, Jokic doesn't really care to win it. So I think yeah. that's that's really the surprising thing of it all. And you know how I feel about individual awards and accolades. I think at the end of the day, none of that stuff truly matters unless you're able to finish it off with a championship. A football analogy, I think the great one is Mahomes this past year led the league in passing yards, led the league in passing touchdowns, won league MVP, but then he won the Super Bowl and he won Super Bowl yeah. MVP. That capsulates an incredible season. If you win league MVP, but then kind of fade away in the playoffs, then you're not really as remembered, I think, in totality from a seasonal perspective than if you are if you finish it all the way. So I remember Hakeem, Defensive Player of the Year, wins finals MVP. Jordan, he won league MVP, finals MVP. He's done it before. So I think at the end of the day, whoever of these three guys go the farthest, we're going to remember them as probably the most valuable player of them all this season. But it is the same that Embiid can't go. And what we're going to talk about later on this episode Harden and Embiid at this time of the year have had nagging injuries once again. And that's going to have me cause the pause when it comes to taking them serious if they have to play Boston or Milwaukee to come out of the East. Because as we've seen, when Harden wasn't there these past two games, their offense just looked different. I think that's the main reason why they lost to Golden State. Because now you're really going through Embiid. Embiid's having to become the primary scorer and playmaker he's having to really balance both duties and he can't do that particularly well because his priority and it has been all year i gotta be the scorer i gotta be the focal point of the offense and as much as tyrese maxie i think has had a solid year when he hasn't been injured he's not that point guard oriented playmaker so they're gonna need both of these guys healthy to do any type of damage in the playoffs and i'm interested to see what their health will look like long term but let me, let me ask you a uh, one quick question before we hop into things okay do you who do you who do you think will get criticized the most? A Jokic winning his third straight and then not making the conference finals, or Embiid winning the MVP but then losing in the first round? It's gonna be Jokic because historically the last I think three guys to win three straight MVPs were Larry Bird. Um, and now I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I think it's Larry, Wilt, and Bill. I'm not yeah, sure. I think it was Will. And yeah. Yeah. Larry, Wilt, and and Bill. Um, but yeah, he's going to get the most criticism because I've heard the rhetoric really from look, the the sad reality is um, Yeah, Russell, and, Will, and Bird are only three. Okay. So it's Wilt, Bill, and uh Larry. Yeah. So two Celtics, one Laker. Funny. Um, but at the end of the day, <laughs> hilarious. But look, uh, with Jokic, <sighs> NBA social media criticism, that stuff carries. And so already I've heard so many people be like, look, Jokic, there's no reason he should win three straight MVPs if LeBron never was able to do it, if Jordan was never able to do it, if Kobe was never able to do it. But my whole perspective on all that is MVP is a regular season award. We know this. And at the end of the day, you're inevitably judged by what you do in the postseason. So you can have as many MVPs as you want. If you're not a consistent playoff level performer, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. James Harden has an MVP, but we still look at him, unfortunately, as a playoff choker because he continues to come up small in the postseason. So I say if Jokic doesn't at least get the Nuggets to the finals, he's going to get cooked. And it's unfortunate. I don't think that's particularly fair because every time I see him play, he shows up relatively for the most part because 
the offense runs through him. He's not the greatest defender, but, you know, he does what he can. But I will say this, though. This is Denver's year. The West is weak as ever. It's the weakest it's been in a long time. I don't um, think so. I, I, I think I it think is. It's weak. I, I think it's very weak. I think you have Denver and Memphis. Sacramento's like a distant third. And you have everybody else. Because I'm not really sold on Durant's health long term. Now, we've seen Durant three games with the Suns. They look good. But is he going to be able to stay relatively healthy? And if he does, it's Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden. Are they going to do their part to show up? And then the two L.A. teams, I'm not taking them serious. They're pretty much old, and I think time has passed them by. Golden State, as we saw last night when they lost to the Wolves, they just they don't have it. And I don't, it don't, to me, it don't matter if Wiggins comes back or if he don't. They're just not what they used to be in the past. And I've even touched based on um, the other teams after that. So I just think in the West, it's pretty much Denver or bust, to be honest. This is the best opportunity they have to win the conference and represent the West in the NBA Finals. They've got to get it done this year. And I think they have the team that can do it. And so if Jokic is not able to accomplish it, and let's say the likes of Ja Morant or the Sacramento Kings make it to the finals, he's going to get destroyed. Because for the most part, we look at Jokic as a top five player in basketball. And if a top five player in basketball is not able to elevate his team as the number one seed to an NBA finals in a weak Western conference... He's going to get cut. It's unfortunate, <laughs> but he's going to get cut. I don't think the West is weak. I think, I think obviously, there's been so many ups and downs, primarily due to injuries. I think that's the main thing. But, I mean, from three down to, like, 11, I would probably take in the West, like, those teams over, like, five to through the rest of the Eastern Conference. Like, I think the East is very top-heavy with yeah. uh, Milwaukee – um, Philly and Boston. I think Cleveland's pretty good. I'm anxious to see when we'll, we'll talk about them later. Um, but five and down, like the, the rest of the the teams in that conference, like I would take Phoenix over them. I would take the Clippers over them. I would take Sack over them. I would take the Warriors over them. I would take Minnesota over them. I would take the Pelicans. Obviously, all of these teams healthy. Um, over <laughs> That's them. the problem, and, right? They gotta be healthy. They haven't so been all year. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's weak. I just think. For the second year in a row, we've seen the primary stars in the Western Conference hurt. Kawhi has missed a, a lot of time. Zion has missed a lot of time. KD's missed a lot of time. LeBron's missed a lot of time. AD, as we know, always misses a lot of time. Paul George has missed a lot of time. Curry has missed some time. Um, so I think that's that's it. I think it's it's not so much as a week. I just think they're um, they've been bit by the injury bug, but. Yeah, I mean, you're providing context for why it's weak. And I'm agreeing with you. It's weak <laughs> because they're hurt, they're old, and I see strife. what you did there. Yeah. I see what you did there. Right. I see what you you're did providing there. context for why it's weak. I, I understand. Like, we but... all came into the season with high expectations for the West. We thought, for the most part, everybody was going to stay relatively healthy. And that just hasn't been the case. And so, put it this way. you're In the East, there's four teams in my eyes that I feel are legitimate conference title contenders. While in the West, I really think it's two. And to be honest, it's kind of one. Like, I, Denver is going to have home court, and they have the best player in the conference. So it's like, okay, it's them. Memphis, I feel like if Steven Adams is back, they're right there. 
after that, I don't know. Sacramento doesn't play really consistent level defense. Phoenix has injuries, depth concerns. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, will or won't they show up? Golden State is a wreck. They're not what they used to be. Um, Minnesota, they're starting to get their stuff together, but it might be a little bit too late. Oklahoma City's relatively young. Did I bring up the two LA teams? They're washed. So whoa, whoa, whoa. you skipped the Pelicans. Whoa, whoa. Don't be sliding over Zion like the that. The Pelicans. <laughs> I, again, injuries. We talked about Zion. Is he going to be back healthy enough? That That's the whole thing. And so the West as a whole this year, it's just not what it used to be. And it's because of injuries. It's because of age. And it's because of internal strife. It's all of those things. It provides context to why it's not on par with the East. And so bringing all that back together before we move on, this is Jokic's year. If he doesn't get it done this year, I don't know when. Because next year, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Dallas, they're going to get their stuff. Minnesota, they're going to get their stuff together. We we did. However, you were high on the Nuggets, right? You were high on the Nuggets. It panned out. I wasn't that high on Memphis, but the track record has shown they improve every year. So while we didn't get Golden State right, Minnesota right, L.A. right, we didn't get those guys right. The younger teams, the teams where it was like with Denver – Wait till they get healthy. They've been healthy. They're number one. Memphis, okay, their track record is shown in the John Morant era. They get better every year. They're better than what they were last year. So as long as the young up-and-coming teams continue their development internally and no one gets injured, they're going to be better than what they were the year prior, which means for Denver, I don't know how old Jokic is, but we could say he's in his prime. He got to get it now. He's 27. He's got to get it now because these young guns coming up that are under the age of twenty five, they're not oh, going no, nowhere. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sold on them. But I, I think, I think this happens every few years. There's an up and coming team that we all think is going to continue to have this linear path to the conference yeah. finals or finals. But then something always happens along the way. Um, I mean, I don't know if you can remember that. The Clippers team from the the mid two thousands, the Darius Miles and the Knuckleheads, they were one of those teams that everyone thought was gonna continue to rise. Didn't last that long. I mean, we we can talk about the the Running Gun Suns. We can talk about um, who else? I mean, even OKC, like with KD and them. You know, like who? It, it, Looking at that team, you would have thought they were competing for many titles. They went to one f- title, <laughs> one championship, and <laughs> lost. You know, and we never saw them back there again. So I think it's it, it it sounds good when you're looking at it on paper, but when we really look at the reality of, I know you don't like to talk about the past, but you know I love <laughs> to talk about the past. You do. Context. So when we look at the past and the trend that the league has always had, not to say it can't change, but the probability is that it's probably not going to happen that way. There's going to be a team that runs the decade. There's probably going to be a secondary team that, um, you know, competes here and there. But usually we see there's one team that runs runs it. There's another team that competes. And then the rest of them are kind of just like, you know, they pop in here and there. But good conversation um, good. for time's sake. Good. Yeah, yeah. Great, we we just great, added a uh, fifth topic. Impromptu. Yeah, after the fifth topic, great <laughs> precursor into the four topics. Now let's get to the big one. 
the fall of the Dallas Mavs? Is it the players? Mm. Is it the coach? Is it a combination of both? Through the first 55 games, Clem, the Mavs were the fifth seed in the West at 29 and 26 before they made the deal to get Kyrie Irving. Since then, they're now 36 and 39 and are outside of the play-in following two of the worst losses of the year against the tanking Charlotte Hornets. Now, Luka, he's going through it, bro. He's in agony about how he's not having fun. And the media, they're all re- they're ready with their pitchforks. They're ready to blame Kyrie. It's like, yo, it's Kyrie's fault. They fell <laughs> off when they got Kyrie. However, Dallas, 23rd in defensive rating, 29th in pace, 30th in offensive rebounding percentage. They allow the most three-pointers in the league, and they're first in personal fouls. Bringing all of this together <laughs> to you, Clem, what's the biggest issue for the Mavs this season? Is it roster construction, the coaching, or both in your eyes? Um, from that list, I'm going to go with the roster construction, um, and expound on that before I get to what I think is personally the, the worst thing. Um, so Jason Kidd isn't the coach for this roster. I don't, I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he's a defensive minded coach. Um, but I think a lot of the times there are very few coaches you can give them anything and they will mold the team into what like their personality is like a Greg Popovich, like a um, an Eric Spolstra. He makes the best out of pretty much any talent he has. Um, Bill Jackson's more of like a stars coach and can get everybody to mesh. Um, Brad Stevens is another good example when he has little to nothing. Um, and even this year, uh, Will Hardy, Taylor Jenkins, list goes on. Um, there's some pretty good coaches in the league that can turn you know, any type of roster construction into uh, at least a playoff team. Unfortunately, that's not Jason Kidd's style. He's a defensive coach, and they struggled a little bit even before they traded most of the defensive players away. But now that they've traded their main key pieces with (laughs) Dwight Finney-Smith, they're asking Josh Green, a guy who really wasn't even playing like earlier in the year was like every night in the rotation to be like this lockdown three and D guy. And then, which was kind of weird, they brought him in um, off the bench, made him the starter and then had Justin holiday start a couple games and then brought him back up. Like those type of things, just like that can really shake the chemistry on the team. Secondly, we brought JaVale McGee in and before he really even proved to be like the starter, um, you kind of gave him that title. And personally, I think it made him a little lazy coming into the season um, and led to him not probably being in the best condition to be like the defensive anchor that he was supposed to be for this team. Um, I thought that was a a thing he didn't handle the best, him being Jason Kidd. And then I think the main thing for me is just the handling of Christian Wood. Now, Christian Wood has not had a very reliable um, track record in the NBA. I think he's been on like seven different teams, um, spent like a year with each team. So he's not, and kind of burning the bridge on the way out in most, most of the uh, stops. Um, however, I think this is the situation where I, I, I'm like, Jason Kidd isn't an offensive coach. If he was an offensive coach, he would have understood like, okay, this guy, defense is lacking, much like Luca and Kyrie. Um, I I think we should focus just on our offense. And I think we talked about this when the trade first went down. I said, if I'm them, I'm just going out guns blazing. Like, 
I'm letting Luca. I'm going out there telling Luca to get his thirty, telling Kyrie to get his twenty-five, and trying to get Christian Wood his twenty twenty points, right? And then somebody gets double teamed. They're gonna find a way to get the assist and get the points. But that the roster construction is not set up to stop guys. It's set up to score, and that's the advantage they need to play towards. But I don't think he's been doing that. Um, the main reason I think it, it's been a problem is Luca. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself a Luca fan, but I do appreciate his game. And I think in the chat, you know, I've, I've said Luca legend and all. You call him Euro Harden. I don't think <laughs> he should be called Harden because he's Euro not Harden. Harden. <laughs> but uh, I disagree with it. But, you know, it is what it is. But I think that teams take on the personality of their best player. Um, and Luca is at the point where he's been an all NBA caliber guy not even caliber he's made the teams and first team we're not talking about like the third team fringe guy he's first team he started in all-star games like he's proven to be you know a top five player in the game today but his leadership style and personality now we've seen Kawhi, we've seen kd we've seen i mean shag we've seen a lot of guys who haven't really been like had a strong alpha personality to like I'm the hardest working guy or I'm the rah-rah guy. It's very rare for the, for like a leader to have both. But I feel like you should have one or the other. And I don't think he has the best work ethic and I don't think he's a rah-rah guy. So that's like a double negative. You know what I'm saying? So that makes it even worse for him as the leader and number one guy on the team. Because, yeah, you can ball and you get your teammates involved, but you're also not contributing to the defensive end. You're also complaining over and over and over again. You're also coming into the season out of shape. Um, so it's like looking at all those things, I know he's young. I just think that he's kind of going to the path where it's like he's not going to be – I know Katie's your boy, and I think it's not on the Katie level because KD put the work in. But it's kind of like in that in that degree where I think he's like in that Shaq KD category where it's like, you may not want him to be the leader on your team, but you can put him with any team in the in you know in the NBA. And if they're with other stars, he's gonna be better than them. he's gonna play better than them and probably win like a Finals MVP in the in the championship. But he's not gonna do like the little things as a leader that your team needs to succeed. So, Kid and Luca both deserve some of the blame pie, even though Kyrie plays a part in it. But I don't think he's the main reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um. We're like mirrors, bro. I, what you're spitting is kind of what I have in my notes right now. I want to touch base on Jason Kidd. You said he was yeah. a defensive guy. We're we right here with it. You said he's a <laughs> defensive guy. I'm going to go a step farther. Um, Jay Kidd's not going to go anywhere. I think them going to the conference finals last year gave him about another a couple extra years. And I think that Mark Cuban's. I think that's Mark Cuban's guy. Um, but I agree. He's not the ideal guy for the team. I don't think he's an ideal coach at all because I don't know if he can get the most out of an NBA team. But what he can do because he's done it twice now with Giannis and Luka. He's great at maximizing someone's star player, which is what he's done with Luka, because Luka has career highs in field goal attempts, field goal percentage, efficiency field goal percentage, two-point percentage, and points per game. His PER is at a career high as well, 29.3. But that being said, going back to what you said about his well-being, he's missed 15 games this year. He does not take great care of his body. And when you don't take care, great care of your body and the offense runs through you at a high usage rate, that's a recipe for disaster. You're inevitably going to always be nicked up and miss time. So that's a big thing with him. Um, his game also hasn't really changed. And I feel as if they need to 
upper management and kid need to get in a room with Luca and they have to articulate to him, look, you've got to become a little less ball dominant because right now, the more ball dominant you are, it kind of constricts the well-being of the team overall. Hasn't really affected Kyrie because Kyrie's Kyrie. And I think that's also another issue as well. Luca and Kyrie, they're the same. And so while Luca being supremely ball dominant doesn't affect Kyrie because he's pretty good at spotting up, he's going to always find the way to get the ball himself. And he's a magician when it comes to, you know, being creative off the bounce around the lane. We've seen it affect Jalen Brunson. We've seen it affect Kristoff Porzingis, and I think it kind of somewhat affects Christian Wood as well, which is why at times when he's on the floor, he can't get a consistent feel either. But he and Kyrie, they don't mesh particularly well. But the issue is, this is this is even more of a problem. When Luke is not there and Kyrie's running the show, they look better offensively, which means the problem is Luke is not activating his best gene, I think, in his game. He's a phenomenal playmaker. When Kyrie's doing a better job at playmaking, when you're not on the floor, when that's not even Kyrie's high-level skill set, that's a problem. It's a you problem. You've got to look yourself in the mirror and change. Now, Kyrie averaging 27 a game, 49, 38, 93 shooting splits. He's giving you almost six assists as well. But to wrap it all up, with this topic, they don't defend particularly well, Clem. They don't have a true big. Their only true big on the roster is JaVale McGee. They gave him starting caliber center money in the offseason, but he didn't come to camp, like you said, or into the season prepared to play starting caliber minutes. So now you're still playing Dwight Powell. Now you're playing Christian Wood at the five. That's not really what they signed up for. Tapping into the fact that they let go of Dimwitty as well and Dorian Finney-Smith, they don't have perimeter guys. And so now you're leaning on Josh Green to play the perimeter as a 3 and D guy. And you talked about how they played Josh Green a little bit. Then they sat him and put in Justin Holiday. I looked at those two Hornet games exclusively. And Josh Green would not shoot the basketball. Like, he just wouldn't. And that messed up the feng shui of the offense because there were times where they did swing it pretty well. And it hits Green in the corner. And he's up faking and dishing it back out again late in the shot clock. So now they got to take a contested three-point shot. That wasn't what they really signed up for within that offensive setting. So I think for them... And I'm, I'm going to open this door up for you as well. I think they're going to bring Kyrie back. And I think they're probably going to need to have a conversation with Luka. The issue is they need defenders and they need a true big. Because if you're going to have Kyrie and Luka on your team, we all know they're not pretty good defenders. So the other three guys in your starting lineup need to be adequate or high-level defenders to make up for the deficiencies you have in your non-defensive backcourt. And so, like you said, they don't have that, so their offense should be predicated around pushing the pace. So them being 29th in pace is not a good sign. This is an offensive-oriented team. They need to be going up and down. They need to be getting high-quality shots. They should be getting high-quality shots because Kyrie and Luka are at their best, breaking the defense down off the dribble. Um, these are all major concerns, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, which is a problem. Mm. And the biggest thing that we said coming into the year with Dallas I had Dallas eighth. I don't know what you or you had Dallas in the preseason rankings. I wasn't really high on Dallas anyway before they got Kyrie because I felt like the roster got worse when they lost Brunson. And it looked worse early in the year before Kyrie. It's just that they were fifth before they got Irving because the West sucked. And now since they've got Irving, they're even worse. And everything that we feared has come into fruition. These are wholesale changes that they're going to have to make. But I do think they're going to stick with Kyrie and Luka. Do you feel that way as well going forward? 
Yeah, looking back at my 2023 NBA predictions when we did the October 17th podcast before the season started, and I had them in the play-in. Um, uh, the ninth seed, actually, to be exact, yeah. which is interesting. I had the Kings 10. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I, I don't really know. Like, if I had to bet, I would say that Kyrie will come back um, but then I like I don't think he's gonna spend the entire season. I think by trade deadline time, they're probably gonna be doing around the same thing because I don't see them making any changes this offseason. Um they don't have much more to give up. They gave up a lot in the, the deal to get Kyrie. They gave up a lot to get Chris Stapps, and then they let Jalen Brunson walk for free. Um so their options are very limited right now. And then it's like they kind of doubled down on the bad move of not signing Brunson by having to go get Kyrie. So then to like double down even further to get off of Kyrie, who's not playing. I mean, he's, you know, he's still having his highlight plays, but he hasn't like shown to be a positive effect to what they're doing. Just looking at the overall record since he's been there. Um, well, actually, they might have a positive record since he's been there. I can't remember. But it's not helping them get to their ultimate goal, which was to get out of the play-in um, and get the sixth seed or higher. Uh, so I can see him signing just because he lost so much money and he wants to get this last contract. Um, if he does, I don't see it lasting long-term. But then again, I can see if the Lakers don't make the play-in. Like, if they don't make the play-in, for the second year in a row, or if they get out in the first round of the play-in, I can see, you know, them wanting to go get Kyrie as well. And Kyrie putting on, you know, his big good PR stuff and bring up Kobe stuff and how he wants to play for the Lakers and how much it would mean to him and yada, yada, yada. I don't know if um, if Jeannie and, and the Lakers organization will want him as much, but – if I had to bet, I would say he would return because I think they're gonna be they're gonna offer him the most money, and he's gonna look at it and be like, "Look, I lost a lot of money over the last year. I need to get it back, and I'm not the healthiest. I'm 31 years old. I gotta secure this bag. I can figure out the rest later. So I, I say he'll be back. Yeah, he's gonna be back. Like you said, they're gonna offer him the most money. I think a lot of that is going to be the ownership saving face to the fact that they missed out on Brunson. Um, I saw yeah. a report earlier today where um, they offered Brunson 55 mil around the deadline and Brunson and his agency mm-hmm. were trying to make it work. And Dallas was like, no. And yeah. that backfired. So, because I don't think they expected Luka to go down in the playoffs and Brunson to single-handedly win them the Utah series. Um, yeah. So I, Cuban, prideful guy, he's going to save face on his investment with Kyrie by giving them the most money I think what's going to also help them is Dallas is probably if they keep playing how they're playing they're going to have a top 10 protected pick this year and a pretty good draft so maybe if the Lowry balls fall their way they can get an impact rookie in there or leverage the pick to somebody that wants to trade up and you could get high quality three and D role players on the back end to fill out their roster I think this is where Dallas is going to have to be at moving forward it's just unfortunate because the hyperbole on Luca early in the year was extreme. You know, he was playing at an unreal level. 
There was talks of MVP, top three player in the game. No one can touch him. And from that point pre-All-Star break to now, where he's not in the play-in at all, it's just the total opposite trajectory. And I don't think anybody really saw that coming. Um, In terms of Luka, like you said, kind of being a crybaby, not taking care of his body, being somewhat of a ball hog and tunnel vision. These are all things he all showcased within himself throughout his young career. It just finally caught up to him. And this is his level of adversity that he's finally facing. I thought it would be in the playoffs, Clem, and like a quick exit. This is going to be the year adversity of him for the first time in his career as he reaches his prime, and it's going to result in him not playing playoff caliber basketball. Will that message be sent to him internally to make him realize things have to change and it starts with me? Or is he going to kind of take the woe is me, I'm a pout, and just bank on everybody feeling sorry for me and maybe leverage that to get the heck out of Dallas sooner rather than later? I don't think he's leaving Dallas now, but I think if next year it's the same song and dance, he's got enough pull and the media has a level of backing towards his greatness to where he might want to force out. And that will be a disappointing end because to wrap it up before we move on, the Luka and Trey trade at the draft. I remember when Luka was balling, everybody was like, y'all say it's a win-win. Luka killing it. It ain't no win-win. Atlanta <laughs> wish. And now these dudes might not make the playoffs. And so wouldn't it be ironically fitting that Atlanta and Dallas made the swap for very talented players that are unfortunately headaches and you don't maximize their high level of play because they get in their own way due to their play style. That would be disappointing. Really would. What are you hearing about? I heard that he had some like off the court issues like that's really having to uh, have an effect on him and his mood. Like, are you hearing anything about like what's really going on there? Like, yeah. Off the court stuff. I've heard about the mom situation where she was trying to, you know, leverage oh, yeah, some things. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah, that's been around for a while, though. That's been around for a while, and I heard that was resolved in like January's. I, I honestly yeah. think, I honestly think, he's just not having fun playing basketball because they suck. Like I, I really just think it's that simple. Um, I don't think it's anything more extensive beyond that, and that's human nature. I mean, when you're a high caliber talent like he is and a perennial All-NBA talent, there's a level of expectation that you feel like you and your team needs to be able to meet every single year. And it's not to be outside of the playoffs. And so he's seeing, you know, his European brethren, Jokic, going to be first seed. He's seeing guys in his peripheral peer-wise, the Jaws, the Tatums, um, the Giannis, those guys, elite-level talents, they're going to be competing for a championship this year, and he won't. And the sad reality is, and I'm a messy dude, and I'm going to talk about it on Twitter, with the exception <laughs> of that fluke run last year, what level of success has the great Luka Doncic really had with his high-caliber level of talent? Bouncing the first round twice, and now he's going to miss the playoffs. I... At some point, we have to have a legit conversation and talk about this man might be a year away from being a little bit overrated. Like maybe we expected a little bit too much from him. And as much as we call James Harden a joker, and as much as I call Luka Euro Harden, Harden would never. He's getting you to the playoffs. Oh He's getting God. you at least a playoff series win. Now, after that, who knows? But he's getting you there. And that's the facts. Um, Next topic up. Is it time to be concerned 
about the recent injury ailments of James Harden and Joel Embiid. Now, Clem, we talked about it early on the segment. Embiid will not play tonight versus Denver as the Sixers monitor. A calf injury that I started to hear about a few games ago um, when they played the Bulls and he blew off the Bulls, but he didn't come back in the second half. And it's like, where is he? And it's like calf injury management. Um, Harden is projected to make his return tonight. Missed the last three games with Achilles soreness. Um, but right before the playoffs, Clem, Philly's two best players are dealing with annual knick-knack injuries. Now, without Harden, we've talked about it. Philly just hasn't looked the same offensively in recent matchups. Embiid's been their total assist leader in the two games Harden has been out that they've lost. And he's giving you eight and five assists, but he's really prioritized on getting buckets, not playmaking for the rest of the team. So there's a semblance of ball watching from his teammates where a lot of Embiid action at the free throw line in the post, mid post area, and are just watching him be great offensively. Um, I liked where the Sixers were headed, Clem, early in March, but right now it's the same song and dance where their two best players are starting to have these injury concerns that we've seen before the last two years. Are you confident, man, or are you concerned that these things will carry into the playoffs and not allow the Sixers to at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals? Yeah, man, uh, I am worried. Um, and looking back at the um, preseason predictions, I had the uh, 76ers going to the finals. Um, I've since changed that. I think the Bucks are not only going to go to the finals, but win it um, against the Denver Nuggets. But um, the main reason why I, I, I didn't choose or I, I decided to change from the 76ers was just because of that injury history, I just don't trust Joel Embiid to play an entire stretch of playoff basketball and not get hurt. Like maybe he may not get injured to the point like he can't play, but something's going to, it's always something that's happened. And it's like, I don't think it's on the level of uh, Anthony Davis, but it's kind of like a tier below that, you know, um, and then James Harden, obviously, like he's had his playoff struggles. He's actually been a pretty durable guy throughout his career, especially his time in Houston. Um, but since he's come to Brooklyn, um, Cam, first year, uh, plays 42 games. All right. Um, eight in Houston, 36 in Brooklyn. Plays 65 games uh, the next year um, and then goes to or, or again in Brooklyn. 44 games and then uh wait hold on this basketball references okay they put it on top okay so he played 42 games and then he played 65 games in Brooklyn and then this year he's played 53 games and they have I think like seven games left or so so he's no longer in that 78 72 81 82 81 73 78 stretch he was yeah. in from 2013 to about 2019. All right. The strip club is catching up to him. All right. They are. <laughs> um, and he's also <laughs> he's also 33 years old. And it's like the sad part. I feel like every five to 10 years we see this where it's like the guys who were like at the top of the NBA. They're still producing when they're healthy, but they can't consistently stay healthy. Um, we've seen it. I remember watching it with Kobe and. Tim was relatively healthy, but, you know, age, KG, like the end of his career, he was sitting out a lot. Um, and now we're kind of seeing it with this era's greats. KD um, has been out a lot. LeBron has been out a lot. Even Curry has been out a lot. James Harden has been out a lot. 
Um, and and Bede's still relatively young. I think he's only 28 years old, but he's had injury history that y'all been beating up on my man Zion. I had to remind y'all, all right, <laughs> it took Joel Embiid almost five seasons to play as many games as Zion has played in three. Okay. Let's just not forget that. Um, but yeah, I I am worried. And I think ultimately we'll talk about the, the Cavs next, but I think this is an opportunity for the Cavs where they can make the Eastern Conference Finals because I just don't trust that Embiid will not get hurt. And when he gets hurt, or if I should say, fingers crossed, that James Harden will step up and want to play that role. Or even if he's able to play that role, I think their best bet is if Maxi can pull some strings, but he's been hurt and his role has been up and down like since he's been back. So I don't trust him. And I'm very concerned about the injury um, situation of those two. Yeah, uh, we're on the same page here, man. Uh, like early March, the early part of March, man, is a was a huge revelation of dang, like what the Sixers can actually be when they're healthy, they're all playing and they're all clicking on one accord. And then as that month went on, it just all fell apart. Um, they the biggest thing that stood out, bro. They need Harden. Like Harden really makes that offense go because he's a phenomenal playmaker. And when he's not out there. And Bede and Max, you're now exchanging the duties, and they're scores. Like, they're not looking mm-hmm. to set teammates up. They're looking to get buckets themselves. And that kind of constricts the Tobias Harris's of the world, the P.J. Tuckers. They're having to take contested shots late in the shot clock because they don't have a floor general that's getting them quality looks earlier in the shot clock and half-court possession. So, look, I think Philly, they're, they're the third seed. Um, they're probably going to have to play the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, the Miami, I think they're good enough to win a playoff series. But they're going to have to play Boston round two, it looks like. And I don't think they're good enough to beat Boston because Embiid, I don't trust him to be durable enough in that series. Now, Boston has had issues within the front line. Robert Williams has been in and out, and Al Horford's older. So you would think, well, this is Embiid's time to shine. This is his matchup. But do I trust game five in that series, 2-2 type situation? Is Embiid healthy enough to give me full effort? You know, like, I thought Philadelphia last year could have made the conference finals, but right on cue, they play Toronto, they got the series locked up, Embiid going crazy, and then his African brethren, Siakam, gives him a mean elbow to the face, and that's it. That's (laughs) it. He wasn't the same. He was not the same. And that was the main reason why they didn't beat the Miami Heat in the second round. I just, now with this calf strength, it's always something new with this dude every year. And I can't trust it. You know, I just can't trust him to be available enough to come out of the East. And you need to be healthy against these goon squads in the East this year because Cleveland's young. They're just as big and they're hungry. Milwaukee would know what they bring as former champions. And Boston, man, they, they're they young and they're durable and they get after it. And so compiled with injury concerns and then Doc being Doc, it's going to be another disappointing season for the Sixers, and they're going to have some ba- major questions this offseason because I'm starting to believe James Harden will not be back. I don't know where he's going to go, but I'm pretty sure he's at a point in his career where he's kind of like, eh, I don't have to win a ring. Like, I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. I've made a lot of money. I'm cool. I just want to be wherever at the later stages of my career where I'm comfortable and I'm happy. And that sounds like the Houston Rockets, which is weird, but... Whatever. Um, 
And so if that happens, what's the future of Joel Embiid? Like, is he going to look at this situation without Horton and be like, I can't win a championship here. Get me out of Philly. That's that's a possibility. Uh, potential Laker. <laughs> him, and, him and Steph Curry have a pretty good relationship with Under Armour. Could he be in Golden State? I, I don't know. That um, that's another dark horse. So this is a very crucial time for Philly. And I think the peak of their powers, man, it was they were playing Memphis first game out of the All-Star break. That was an incredible matchup. And they beat Memphis. And the way they beat him was unsixer-like, but in a good way. Because they were trailing most of the game. They were ever so resilient. Harden and B, they were getting down for loose balls. Tobias Harris was the most clutch I've ever seen him in a while. And a playoff-type feel, and they delivered. And since that time, it just doesn't feel the same. And these are very paramount concerns I have moving forward because this is it for Philly. I think this is their best. This is the best team they've had since the 2019 squad where they had Ben Simmons and Bede, uh, Jimmy Butler, J.J. Redick when they lost to the Raptors. This is their best squad since then. And if they can't get it done now, I don't know when because Cleveland's going to be better than the next year. We can agree. Boston and Milwaukee are going to take it to another level as well. And now you're going to be the fourth best team in the East and you're going to be left behind. And that's just going to be unfortunate. Not to mention, Orlando might be lapping you next year because I like what they're building too. So things are going to get Detroit. really real. Detroit as well. Things are going to get really real. Miami? Really real. My, my, Miami, it's over, bro. <laughs> but th- <laughs> it's over, bro. But <laughs> things are going to get really real. Miami, bro. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm, not sleeping on Miami. The, I'm not sleeping on the heat. I'm just, Jimmy Butler is their best player. And I think their time has come when Jimmy Butler is the best player. I think they've reached the ceiling. Now, I don't think it's over if they're able to, we talked about it last episode, move Butler for something to get a little younger, revitalize heat culture into a new image to kind of compete with the younger Eastern Conference. But with this current iteration right now, it's over. So with Philly, Things are going to get really real if they're not able to meet expectations this year. And then during the offseason, their team is broken up even more. It's just going to be unfortunate, to say the least. Next topic ahead, how far can the Cleveland Cavaliers go in the playoffs? Clem, yesterday was a historic moment for the Cavs. Clem's the playoff burst for the first time without LeBron James since 1998. They're 20 games over 500. They're fourth in the Eastern Conference. Donovan Mitchell's is averaging 27 a game on 47% shooting. Darius Garland's giving you 21 and 7. While shooting 40% from three, that dynamic backcourt that we expected to thrive coming into the year, it delivered. But Evan Mobley and Jared Allen continue to be a match made in heaven. Now, they don't have these outstanding numbers. Mobley's 16 and 8. Allen's 14 and 9. But they're a perfect fit inside offensively within the paint. They defend with the best of them very well. They have a top 10 offensive rating. But the biggest one, Clem, number one defensive rating in basketball. Is this squad built for the postseason? Yes, they are. Well, time will tell on that. But I think think they're definitely going to make noise. I'm really interested to see what they look like because on one hand, the game's going to slow down a lot and they're going to have the defense to get stops. But they're so young, so it's kind of like they did it in the regular season, but is that going to translate to the playoffs? 
Um, and fun fact, the last time they clinched the playoffs, Darius Garland wasn't born yet. Jared Allen wasn't born yet. Evan Mobley wasn't born yet. And Donovan Mitchell was two years old. So um, shout out to them for, for starting to create this legacy without LeBron. But, man, I just I, – I don't know because I – I think we're both really big Evan Mobley fans, but I'm not going to lie. Like all year I've kind of been like a little like, eh. like I know we set the bar really hard. Like, Oh, we think he could be like a Duncan 2.0. Um, I just, I'm starting to not see that superstar potential in him. Um, just because he just doesn't seem hungry enough for me. Like, I think Tim Duncan was probably, like, the best example of a guy who wasn't, like, super aggressive, but would turn it on when he needed to. Like, no one would have to tell him to, like, shoot the ball if the team's down and they need, like, to win. Like, he's going to find a way to try to win and score. I don't think Mobley has that. I don't know if it's because Mitchell's on the team and he, like, they trust and rely on him being the older um, veteran and you know best player on the team most um, um, successful and decorated player on the team as far as resume and what he's accomplished um, but I just I'm just not I don't know it's just something something in me is just like when I watch him play I just sometimes I forget that he's on the court like it's just like oh yeah Mobley's still playing yeah and I, you know I look at the bar and like okay yeah solid game he's had a solid season but he's not like consistently making that impact offensively defensively he's been there but like we yeah. all know if you're going to take that next step into a superstar or even a star because he hasn't even made an all-star team yet um he's got to start putting the ball in the bucket taking more shots and being more aggressive on the offensive end and he's he's has been taking more threes and and trying to shoot more but it's still like he still just has kind of like that giraffe feel like bandy like like, he's still, like, look at he's growing into his body. Like, he's not the most confident. Like, when he goes to the rim, it's, like, like kind of flaily. <laughs> it's not like, you know, even a young KG was, like, skinnier, but, like, he went in with authority. Like, I don't know. Maybe it just doesn't look as smooth as those other guys, like the Duncan and, and, um, and KG. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because teams are going to force – Mobley and Allen to be their main scorers. Um, and I would like, I would really love to see how that looked, especially when they play a team like um, Philly or maybe even Boston, um, how that may look for them. But it should be interesting. Actually, no, they would have to play the Bucks second round. Yeah, see, they would. that's why. They would. <laughs> but, the, but, that, but, ev but everything, but everything you're concerned about. <laughs> Those questions will be answered against Milwaukee. They will be answered. They, they will. will be answered. I mean, I, I would. I. I. In my perfect world, I would want them to be tested by Miami in the first round. But it's not looking like Miami's going to be able to catch um, the Knicks. I think they'll end up in that six seed over the uh, Brooklyn. But yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think they have the potential to be like the next dynasty. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think this, this postseason is going to say a lot about them. It, it will. It will. Now, Evan, here's the thing about Evan Mobley. Um, when that draft happened, I thought he was the best player in the draft. 
Um, and I think that talent at Upstart is still there. I think the unfortunate reality for him right now, and it's kind of a blessing. It's he's on a team where they play through the guards. They play through Mitchell and they play through Garland. Now Garland sets up the bigs, but when it comes to offensive creation, when it matters, when they need to get things flowing and going, they go through Garland and Mitchell. And so that's why when you know you raise questions and other people have too, um, in NBA circuits, it's like, like dang, like Mobley, why I feel like he's not doing nothing. And my response is always, they play through the guards. Now he's an impactful defensive player. That's undisputable. Um, but there's been times throughout the year where they featured him and he's getting 30. And so I think he has a Duncan-like approach, but it's just in a tough situation where if he was drafted by the Toronto Raptors, like if he fell to Toronto, they would feature him more and he would be an, he would be an easy 2010 guy. And I don't think people would have a conversation about, oh, is he next up? He, he would already be there. But he's on a team where they're super talented in the backcourt. He's playing alongside a guy in Jared Allen, where they kind of want to make him an offensive factor as well. At times, he's kind of the fourth option. And he's cool with it. And I think that's what the Duncan type thing is. He reminds you of kind of where Duncan was later in his career. And so you had these high expectations on you wanting to be Duncan-like. When Duncan came to the Spurs, Robinson was on his last leg. Timmy D was a refined product out of Wake Forest. They were kind of like, yo, Duncan, you're our guy. We're going to feature you. Mobley, when he came in in the Cleveland, it was still Darius Garland's team his rookie year. They were still trying to feature Laurie Markkinen and Jared Allen. And then the next season, you have Donovan Mitchell and his scoring persona and ability. And so he probably won't be featured like that on this roster for a while, maybe until his fourth or fifth year. And it might be due to injuries. It might be due to matchups. Or maybe Bickerstaff just realizes, okay, Mobley has reached a point in his career where he's better than Mitchell and Garland. Let's play through him. And I don't think Garland will have a problem with it because I think Garland's a natural point guard at heart. How will Mitchell feel about that in the next few years where he'll probably still be relatively in his prime? But if coaching staff is kind of like, yo, Mobley's the guy, we're going to play through him. Is Mitchell going to be cool with that? Playoff-wise, they're going to play the Knicks. They're going to beat New York, I think, pretty easily because I think they just – they they're like a better version of the Knicks. They play defense, but they can score. The Knicks' problem is they play defense pretty well, but they have these cold offensive lulls, and a lot of that is because they don't have pretty great shot creators outside of Jalen Brunson. The test is going to be against Milwaukee in the second round. Milwaukee is going to basically make Cleveland play different. They're going to make them play through the bigs. And I think they're going to be cool with them playing through the bigs because they're going to be banking on Giannis and Lopez can neutralize Allen and Mobley. And if Mobley's able to break out in that series, that may start the train of thought within the organization to where they're like, okay, Mobley's the best player on this team. And we need to start featuring him like so moving forward. And I'm intrigued to see how the team will adapt around that. But I think they're going to win a playoff series. I think they're going to give Milwaukee hell but I don't think they're there right now to compete for a championship because they still have, in my eyes, a small forward issue, and I think they can make the bench a little bit better than what it is. I think Rubio as a backup is fine. I think Levert as a six-man is cool, but if they just had a Desmond Bain-type wing on their team, they would be so good. 
a Mikael Bridges type wing on their team. They would yeah, be that's so the good. Bridges, that's I the guy. If they had Mikael Bridges, bro. Or Ojeana Nogu. Mikael Bridges. If they had Mikael Bridges, <laughs> they go to the conference finals. I, I think they could beat Milwaukee if they had Mikael Bridges because Mikael Bridges uh, is now, he's went from three and D to three level scorer and defender. They'd be tough. That front line of Bridges, Mobley and Allen, come on, bro. But they don't have I that think- right now. They have they have a Coro who's cool, but he's not that three. He's not that three point guy yet. So that's really where they're at. Yeah, as we know, you know, especially in the playoffs, it just comes down to matchups. And yeah. I just, I don't think they're able to beat a Milwaukee team unless until Mobley was like, until Mobley gets to a point where he's good enough to go pound for pound with Giannis. With Giannis, okay. Because I think that's what it would come down to. Because, like you said, I think that playoff series will either – I can see it going away where the organization is like, wow, Mobley is, like, up there. We need to start playing through him. I can also see it where it's like he's going up against Portis, Giannis, and, and Lopez, and they're like, damn, this kid still has a long way to go. Um, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I just don't think – in order to beat Giannis, I feel like somebody on the team is going to have to get hurt or you're going to have to have somebody who's better than Giannis, which doesn't exist right now. So, um, yeah. Bucks in six, maybe yeah, five. Bucks in six, maybe <laughs> <laughs> five. I'll say Bucks in six because I think Cleveland is tough-nosed and talented enough to get two yeah. games. Now, if you're talking about the Cleveland team last year, Bucks in five. So, that would be easy. Uh, <laughs> last topic of the pod before we wrap it up, Jalen Brown's yeah. future. Now, Clem, JB, he's missed the final two years of his current four-year $106 million contract, and he's been through a lot, man. I mean, he was involved in a potential KD deal that didn't fall through. Well, that fell through, actually. Um, to now pressing for an all-NBA nod because he knows if he gets it, he could get up to $288 million in his next max extension. Now, he's having a career year, my man. 27 points per game, shooting almost 50% from the field. He shot 57% from two-point land, 58% true shooting. He's a two-time All-Star. He's having an all-NBA caliber breakthrough. But he's talked a little bit about how you don't really rock with the Boston fans. Kind of gave us a little inside look on his relationship with Jason Tatum. Comes across as very workmanlike relationship like they're working people guys you work with at the job but you don't have a really extent extensive connection beyond that and there's a level of overall uncertainty. and there's not wrong with that but i think he's kind of talking like look um he, he prioritizing wanting to be wanted by the team he plays for and boston is kind of in my eyes really taking him for granted and i always felt like and I was talking about this to Darius. He, out of all the young guys, he has a Jimmy Butler type arc in the future where you come in. Yeah, he was a lottery pick. Butler wasn't. But you come in kind of as a role guy and then you start developing your game into a very dependable perimeter score. But it comes to a point where kind of like where Butler was with the Bulls is D. Rose team. With Boston is Tatum's squad and the organization is kind of sided with Tatum. And so my question to you, Clem, Long term, do you see 
I almost called him Jimmy Butler. Do you see Jalen Brown being with the Celtics and being a building block for this franchise as they pursue Banner 18? Or could you see both parties kind of disassociating themselves and going elsewhere? <sighs> yeah, this is another, you know, um, it's close. I think he's going to make the All-NBA team. I think he's going to make third team. Um, so he will end up being able to get that contract. I think Boston will deliver it to him um, or give it to him, I should say. Um, I think some of that depends on the next two years. Like if there's a major decline in his performance or if they like have kind of like reached their peak. Like let's say obviously last year they went to the finals. Let's say this year they get out in like the conference finals, the second round, and then next year they lose in the first round or something like that where it's like every year you're regressing. I can see him like them just parting ways. But I think he's going to make all NBA um, – and he's going to be able to get the, the maximum dollars that he wants. I think it'd be foolish for him to leave because I think a lot of guys, we see this most recently, Jeremy Grant, um, a guy who's probably the third best player. Because I, I, I'm still a little salty that he left Denver because I'm just like, <laughs> imagine him on this Denver team. Like, I feel like, I don't know. Michael Porter Jr. is like a big two to me. Like, he's not. He is really a forward he's just tall so they play right. Correct. Uh, just imagine the rock uh, a lineup with jamal murray michael porter jr jeremy grant aaron gordon and Jokic. like you have the two defensive guys long can uh, uh athletic can defend one through four um most nights um, two shooters Two shooters, and then even Michael Porter Jr. is not a great defensive player, but you're 6'10 guarding most shooting guards. Right. You're going to have some type of an advantage, and he's a pretty good rebounder for um, – oh, well, he is 6'10, so he should be, but yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty good rebounder for, I guess, a perimeter player. Um, and, yeah, like I, I just – I don't think he should have done that, but I don't want Jalen to fall into that same trap. Obviously, he's better than Jeremy Grant, yeah, but much I think his best role is – the second best player on a championship team. Now, if he goes and joins another guy who's like a bona fide number one, then yes. But then again, it's like, I'm thinking, where would he go? Hmm. Okay. Who are the bona fide number one? Number one, Giannis. Him and Giannis got some beef. There's some beef there. I don't he he does not, he does not like, he don't yeah, like Giannis. <laughs> he, right. I can't see him going to Milwaukee. Even though if he, if he went to Milwaukee, whoo, buddy. That oh, was, yeah. Oh yeah, it would that, be tough. Yeah. Dynasty loading. Um, so second up, MB. Okay. Him, like put him in for Harden. What difference does that make? I feel like him and him and MB got some smoke too. I don't see them getting to it a couple right. times. <laughs> so I don't even know if that, that would work either, but they would I've heard, some... I've heard Miami. Like my but Miami when anybody's free, it's like Miami. Um, him, Hero, and Bam. I, I think with he needs to go to a team that has a point guard because he's not a great yeah. dribbler, and a lot yeah, of his yeah. he's not a great dribbler. So he's going to better, need to but, be. Yeah. He's getting better. He's going to need to be within an offense where a guy in a system can get him quality looks. I've heard, um, Memphis fans want him now. 
they have a lot of pieces to give up to get him because I think what's probably going to happen is Boston, like you said, if they regress, by the end of his contract, I can see the Celtics this time next year in the offseason. They're like, uh, uh, if we pay you 288, we'll have to pay Tatum 300. That's damn near almost $600 million tied into two guys. So who would get the boot? Uh, Bane? That's what I'm saying. Like, who would get the boot? Like, would Memphis be cool with if by this time next year it's like, eh, Bane's cool, but we'll give you Bane and three first-round picks for Brown. If he was on a team like Memphis, his game would stay the same, maybe get a little better because John Morant's a pretty good playmaker. But he needs to be on a team with that type of guard that could give him quality looks i think that's where he kind of struggles with at times in boston especially against tougher playoff comp because he's having to create his own because they don't have that true floor general that can initiate offense for him i know they got brogdon and it's been working okay they got Derek white but yeah i don't think right now at this point in his career he should think about going elsewhere to be a lead guy because i don't think his game has advanced enough for him to do that when Jimmy Butler made the transition to, well, they kind of traded him to Minnesota. But in Minnesota and in Philly, he had reached a point in his career where he could be the number one guy. Mm-hmm. And he was that for the Heat. I don't know if Brown's skill set at the moment is there yet. But I do think in the next couple of years, him and Tatum might be on the same level. And that might cause enough friction Probably not between those two, but with Brown and management to where they may feel like, damn, we got two number ones, but we're really rocking with Tatum because he's our guy. We kind of picked him early on in the process and we kind of got him within the organization to be the face. And he is. So let's kind of mortgage Brown for some assets that we can get back and we could just sell Brown when he's on the open market as a number one guy. But, um, yeah, it, it doesn't look like he's feeling Boston. Um, look, I'm Brown, knowing Brown's background, he's Muslim. He's an Afrocentric type of guy. Those two combinations is like oil and water in Boston. I get all that. Yeah. Um, Kyrie yeah. is his man's. So we know how they be. I get all that. Um, but I think what he needs to start looking at is look, you can still be your own man, but also prioritize a successful career within your workplace. Yeah. So I think. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was able to micromanage that as time went on in L.A. He was able to understand the nuance of that, and it worked out pretty well for him. Multiple-time MVP, won a plethora of championships, top 10 guy all time. I'm not saying Brown will be that type of player, but I think if he's able to balance that internally, then, you know, I don't. he wouldn't have a problem with leaving Boston. And I think Boston fans like him more than Tatum because so far he's been a little bit more reliable in the playoffs than Tatum. So I don't think the fan base yeah. wants him to go, but I understand what Brown's feeling internally. It's like management was trying to behind the scenes, and he, I think, probably feels internally as well. Tatum might have been pushing that as well. They were trying to shit me off with Durant. And a lot of people can say, well, it's KD. Don't take it personal. But Jalen Brown was the best player in the finals. <laughs> so yeah. he probably for that team. So he probably yeah. feels like, well, dang, like if Tatum showed up, we would have won. So right. well, I'm getting traded. I understand that. Um they, that, I, they obviously see Tatum as the guy. And I yeah, I don't know. I think the jury's still out on him as the number one guy. I just I think it is. I don't think he has it 
in him to bring it every single night, especially in the playoffs against like a Giannis or like in probably maybe in just because he's always going to be hurt. Yeah. Um, but I just I don't know like that that last finals just kind of that was a tough watch, bro. Wrecked my brain. <laughs> but one one sleeper pick for for J, uh, Jalen. I think I could see him going back home to the Hawks. Um, and that. with Dejounte staying there, him being like a two way player, um, I don't think he's like super alpha to where he would look at Jalen Brown and be like, you know, you can't be the guy over me. I just I just don't want Jalen Brown. I think if he leaves, he's going to end up regretting leaving because he's going to try to be in a bigger position that he's not here ready for. And then it's going to be a situation where it's like five years from now, it's going to be looking like, damn, we're going to see when I'm 30 for 30. We could have won championships, bro. Yeah. You know, my pride got away. Like, same thing we always see with these young stars. Like, you know, one gets treated better than the other, one ends up leaving, and then neither of them end up becoming the, you know, the talent or the succeeding as much as they probably could have together. Yeah, I mean, you don't want this situation to be a better version of Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter. And I'm saying a better version because McGrady and Carter, they never won a playoff series together. Yeah, uh, I'm about to say way better. Right. At least so you still yeah, like way better. Finals. I was right, gonna right. say Shaq and Penny. Like, <laughs> but they, and obviously Penny, they yeah. were better than correct. So why why I'm saying Tracy and Vince, when Shaq left to go to the Lakers, he eventually won a championship. And yeah. Penny broke down. Um, I think McGrady and Carter's a better comp because even though it's a little different, um Brown. I think eventually he's going to be a number one caliber player. Just work on the handles, get a little bit more diversity within your offensive repertoire. The two-way ability is there. I think he's going to be a number one caliber player on a team in the next couple of years. When he gets to that point, he's got to start valuing, like I said before, a couple things. Peace of mind, the best situation to win. And if he's able to find the balance within the two, He'll be able to make the best decision for himself. But I think right now within Boston, Boston gives him the best chance to win a championship. If the goal is to win a championship, stay there. Now, for the next few years, they don't reach that championship window. Or let's say they reach it and they win. Then you have the flexibility to be like, okay, it's time to move on with the next stage of my career to go elsewhere to maximize the best aspect of me. Um, So, with JB, you want to be able to pick and choose the best situation at the perfect time. You don't want to rush it. You don't want to get in your feelings and make a very emotional decision that you come to regret in the next few years. That's what Tracy McGrady did. He was looking at it at Toronto like, uh, you know, Vince, my cousin, he fam, but the team is for him. So let me go elsewhere and be the guy. And he did with the Magic, and they sucked. So... And then big he got time. hurt, and then that was it. So, I mean, it's big time. Big time. So, you don't want that to be your story if you're Jalen Brown. Now, do I think Jalen Brown is on Tracy McGrady's level right now? No. But I think eventually he can be. And when you get to that point, it's all about making sure the next decision you make for the second of your career isn't the worst one. So, I'll leave it at there. But um, 
great podcast episode, man. Episode 10 of NBA Hotel. It was a good one. It was a good one. Before we sign off, next to last week of the season is here. Two interesting things you're looking forward to, my man, Clem. Um, Big time questions you probably want to be answered or get close to being answered as we head to the home stretch. Well, we are in the home stretch as we head into playoff basketball. Yeah, man, it continues to be this play-in, man. Uh, we need to give Evan Walsh, I believe, is the name of the guy who orchestrated or spearheaded the play-in. But that man need to get his flowers while he's alive because this was a great idea. Um, great I idea. even think it may be even better if there's like a pre-play. I know it sounds dumb. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I think I think that like the, the NBA is like selling hope. Like that's how this play in is working. Because we know like the play in team is probably not going to like ever well let me not say ever, but they're probably not happen, gonna be a team yeah. competing for like a champion. Like these guys are not contenders. But it Correct. gives the fans hope, it gives the GM so it gives the it gives these players hope that like there's a puncher's chance. So just think about it like if there was like, like I think they could make a mini series out of this, like the seven and eight, best of three, nine and ten, best of two, and then like the eleven and twelve, because that would even further go against tanking. Because it's like, okay, well, we're not in the top four, so it's basically like we like these. I feel like eleven and twelve is always like that fringe team. It's like they're not competing for the lottery. They're not competing really to get into the play-in because they didn't make it. So it's just kind of like that weird range. But anyways, um, really looking forward to seeing how this ends up, especially in the Western Conference, because this continues to be crazy. I'm talking four games between four and 12. Um, even better look, um, between the the eight seed and the four seed, two games. You know, like we don't know who we're gonna see, and it's just that, that Minnesota game last night was crazy. You know, it was crazy. Um, yeah, I just I, like I don't I don't know what's gonna happen, and it just makes for great basketball. Um, most especially, I'm ready to see if Zion go come back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see it so bad, bro. I want him to come back. Um, and then second thing, hmm. What else? I guess I want to see Pat Bev get the Bulls to the uh the play to the playoffs into yeah. the playoffs because I I'm big on like especially in those one game what like one game yeah the best player is probably going to win um and I still think Trey Young is. <sighs> Better than DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, maybe mm, not by yeah. much, but not by much. Yeah, I feel that... like in a playing scenario, I trust Trey Young to get his team there more so than uh, those guys. But with Pat Bev, with Pat Bev, bro, if if Pat Bev does it again, bro, he might be the most playing, underrated dude go. ever. <laughs> playing go, bro. If he do it <laughs> again, I'm like yo, because he came in. And changed the culture for the Bulls. He made them an even better defensive team. And mm-hmm. in my eyes, I think it's going to be 
Miami and Chicago. I think they're going to be the final two seeds. So I think they're going to be in the playoffs. But yeah. the play-in that you brought roast upon, I don't know about best of threes. I don't know about all that. But this is the year that the play-in is perfect, especially in the Western Conference where from seven to like 10, everybody has the same record down there. And if they don't, yeah. they're like a game ahead or behind each other. And it's making these last two weeks of the regular season matter. They mm-hmm. never used to like this before, bro. They never did. Um, and it's going to create great basketball going forward. Minnesota and Golden State was a barn burner yesterday. And for the Wolves to steal that one and elevate their chances is making me look at them in an even better light. So where, man, if Minnesota is able to sneak in as a six seed and play Sacramento, that could be a problem. And that could be a best yeah. of seven classic. So there's that as well. But I can't wait to see. The Sacramento Kings make history tonight, bro. Yeah. They got the game at the Golden One Center. They get to clinch the playoffs for the first time in over a Light decade. Light the beam. Light the beam could matter way more than it has all year because they'll be living the dream, man. They're going to probably make the playoffs if they win tonight. And it, I was seeing a lot of the fans talk. I, if Golden State would have won yesterday, they would have clinched the Kings. They didn't want that. It was like, bro, we want the Wolves to win so we could get to see our team clinching on their home floor in front of everybody. You know it's going to sell out. You know it's going to be loud and rocking with the Cowboys. Mm. Unfortunately, I wish it was a primetime game on like ESPN. It's not. It'll be yeah. on League Pass. But that's what I can't wait to see because once the Kings do it, it's going to be it's gonna be great for them. Um, so, yeah, those are the two things I can't really wait to see. And um, without further ado, this is your co-host, Kim Bobomani. Well, main host, Kim Bowie, my co-host, Kobe Gibson, NBA Intel. We'll be back with you guys next week for episode 11. We'll see you then. Peace. Yes, sir.